Welcome, and thanks for joining us for this episode of the C3 Church Podcast. You're about to listen into a message from one of our gatherings. To find out more about our community, where we gather both in person and online, and how to get involved, head to cfreechurch.ca. Now, let's listen into a message from a recent service. Um, so I think you guys have probably uh, deduced and concluded that the theme of today's service is joy. Uh, Now, as um, an individual who grew up in the church and listened to many messages, if someone informed me they were about to preach on joy, I honestly would probably check out internally. I'd be like, great, that sounds boring. Thank you. But you know what? Today is not going to be boring, and God does have something for you, so no checking out. No checking out, because I do uh, truly believe, I was here last night praying and praying for every person who might be sitting in chairs, and uh, my desire is that I speak that God's truth uh, be revealed at a deeper level. But not only would you guys hear things today, um, but I am praying and believing that God's going to do an internal work. Uh, So it's a good Sunday to be in church. Good decision coming. Congratulations to you. Uh, The title of my message this morning is Niceties and Necessities. Niceties and Necessities. I'm going to take a moment to pray. I'll try and do it in rhythm with the kids singing in the background, but if I don't, you know, have grace for me. Uh, But dear God, thank you so much for an opportunity to gather this morning. Uh, Would we never take for granted uh, the ability to gather as your family, as your church, God? Thank you so much for this building, for these people, for this time. And I ask God that uh, this would be more than just listening to someone give a talk in the next few minutes here, God, but that your spirit would be evidence Uh, that Jesus would be revealed and that there would just be a shift in our hearts and our minds this morning, God. Would every person here just be blessed uh, by you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So it's uh, Christmas time, FYI, as it has been mentioned. Uh, This is a holiday designed to celebrate the birth of Jesus. He is our main guy. Uh, So because of that, Christmas time, uh, it's supposed to be a wonderful time of generosity, of um, showing friends and family that we care, of just sort of reflecting on the blessings in our life. And I have been lucky enough to experience this uh, lately. We had a ladies' night on Thursday that just brought so much joy to my heart. We were able to go out with our team for dinner. We've been able to bless some people. And so I really... Um, I'm grateful that I've been able to experience some of the goodness that comes with the Christmas season. Um, But I do know that the reality is, for many people, much of the time, Christmas can easily become a time that's dominated by financial stress and relationship strain and expectations. Um, For whatever reason, Christmas seems to be a time when there's the revival of painful memories etc. I I drive down 25th Avenue on the way home every day, and uh, if you're familiar with that strip of road, uh, you'll know that I see a bunch of people every day who are struggling deeply and deeply hurting, and my guess would be Christmas is not the most wonderful time of the year for them. Uh, I have a friend who lives in Tel Aviv that I check in with on Facebook, and Christmas is not the most wonderful time of the year for her. We have people in Kelowna who have relatives in the Ukraine and in the Gaza Strip, actually. Uh, so it's, uh, it's not the most wonderful time of the year for everyone. And as I watch the news and get the updates, I can't help but sort of notice that the whole world 
seems broken. <laughs> right? There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of loss. There's a lot of desperation. There's a lot of trauma, hatred. And uh, every person who is struggling with any of these sort of things, whether it is us or someone close to us or someone afar, as humans, when we are struggling with this sort of brokenness, we all have a desire to find some relief from pain. Right? We want to counteract it. We want to feel uh, the opposite. You know, I've heard it uh, said that in some ways there is a longing in all of us to return back to the Garden of Eden. And what that means is there's this longing for us to be in a place where things are beautiful, where there's wholeness, where there's abundance, where there's safety, where there's intimacy with God. Right? We humans, we desire to feel happy, <laughs> to experience joy. And we try to achieve it in so many different ways, you know, good and bad, romance or career, maybe addictions, maybe self-care, right? We want to feel something good, and uh, history has demonstrated we'll pretty much do anything it takes to feel it. And that desire is not bad. It's, it's not wrong to want to feel good. I want to be happy. You want to be happy. This is not a bad thing. Our problem comes... Because by default, we almost always try to draw happiness from temporary fleeting things, if you will. Right? We try and draw happiness from temporary situations, temporary events, temporary people, temporary things, places. And we hope that the pleasure we get from them, we hope that the good feelings we get from them will be enough to last or enough to get us to the next good moment. But the problem is when we draw things, when we draw happiness from temporary things, then our well-being goes up when things are going well and our well-being goes way down when they're not. Right? So in many ways, the pursuit of happiness is an emotional roller coaster like no other. Right? My romantic life is good. My romantic life is bad. My paycheck is good. My paycheck is bad. My kids are behaving. My kids are not behaving. Up, down, down up, down. I read one study this week that suggested that human happiness is largely based on subjective expectations we have on how things are supposed to play out in our lives. Expectations we have on how things are supposed to play out. So I am supposed to be healthy. I am supposed to be skinny. Therefore, when I am healthy and skinny, I will be happy. Right? I am supposed to be smart, therefore, when I get uh, straight A's, I'm supposed to be on that team, therefore, when I make that team. I'm supposed to be in love, therefore, when I fall in love. When these things happen, I will be happy. But sometimes, no, honestly, for me, most of the time, things don't play out according to the expectations I have of how they were supposed to be. Things often veer from our expectations of what we imagined our lives were supposed to be. And so relying on these expectations, relying on these temporary things to feel something good, to provide relief from brokenness, it means that joy and happiness is almost impossible to consistently maintain. This week I spent uh, quite a bit of time studying the book of Philippians in the Bible. Uh, and this book was written, it was actually a letter uh, written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. Philippi, Philippians, get it? Cool. And as you read through the short book, um, you might conclude that Paul appears to be in a particularly good mood, 
Right? You might think he, by default he's optimistic. Uh, maybe he's just a happy guy. He uses the word joy or rejoice 16 times, and there's only 104 verses in this book. And the word rejoice, we kind of don't use it in our day-to-day language too much. I rejoice that dinner turned out well. Um, but the word rejoice means to feel or show, feel or show great joy or delight. Now, I generally like people who are in good moods. Not going to say all the time, but generally. Uh, but Paul's upbeat tempo uh, in this letter is honestly a little bit confusing to me. Unsettling, perhaps. And I say that because at the time he wrote this letter, uh, he was on house arrest awaiting trial, to which it was quite likely would not turn out in his favor. Uh, There was a very good chance he was going to be executed. And by house arrest, I don't mean like COVID lockdowns. I mean, uh, he was literally chained to a Roman guard at all times. And that violation of a personal bubble, like that is the worst that could possibly happen to me. So he's, not, uh, he's uh, not in the best state. Furthermore, we know that he was struggling with some sort of physical weakness or ailment, and a close of Christian, uh, group of Christian friends had just betrayed him as well. So I think it's safe to say that his circumstances were probably not in line with his expectations of how things were supposed to play out. Right? His pathway to happiness, as we often approach it, uh, had been sabotaged to say the least, right? To me, this seems like an excellent time to be stressed and cranky and moody, and no one would blame him for it, right? But despite everything that was happening in his personal life, he writes this letter to the church in Philippi, and in this letter, he gives, uh, he gives some encouragement, encouragement to people. He gives some suggestions and uh, some instructions on how to live out their faith, But in this letter, he gives only one command or one instruction that he repeats. And as Pastor Dave uh, talked about last week, in the original Greek in which this book was written, if something is repeated, it's like adding an exclamation mark to it, but on steroids. If something is repeated, it means it's being emphasized. It's meaning that you need to understand the necessity of this statement. And this one command that is repeated is found in Philippians 4.4. And it simply goes like this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Sometimes this could be translated as keep on rejoicing. No, seriously, keep on rejoicing. This instruction, it is simple. It is short. It is clear. Paul is not giving a suggestion that the church rejoice. He doesn't talk about joy as um, a bonus feature of Christianity, but he's actually commanding them to live in a state of joy always. And this implies that as Christians, just as we are to love, just as we are to tell the truth, so we are to be joyful Right? In fact, it seems that joy is one of the most crucial elements of the Christian. Right? Joy is not a nicety, it's a necessity. I know it's catchy. Joy is not a nicety, it's a necessity. And I realize that can be a hard thing to process, uh, because if you're like me, hearing a command that says, rejoice in the Lord always, like, it sounds good, it sounds suitable for a poster, 
But it's not at all realistic. Like, Paul, don't you think you're being a little bit too ideal? Is sleep deprivation getting to you? Requiring a whole church to rejoice consistently seems a little bit unreasonable. Remember how depressing the world is? Remember the brokenness? Remember how many of our expectations get thwarted every single day? And rejoicing has to be the first thing to go when I have an argument with my child. The first thing to go when I don't get a good night's sleep. I mean, I lose my joy if Josiah breathes too loud at night. Right? But Paul wasn't unaware of the varying levels of difficulty each person faces. He wasn't unaware of it. Yet he was able to give this non-negotiable command to be joyful to an entire church because the rejoicing he was referring to wasn't associated with uh, the classic things that we assume joy and happiness should be associated with. The joy he was referring to uh, didn't have to do with personality. It wasn't just something mastered by the sanguines of the time. Right? The joy he was referring to didn't have to do with our expectations playing out. And Paul was not saying to approach every detail of your life with unending exuberance either. Thank you, God. We don't need to be giddy. Nor was Paul saying to stop feeling sorrow. In fact, it's interesting because in this exact same letter to Philippi, he writes about how he had great sorrow. In another letter to another church in uh, 2 Corinthians 6.10, Paul says uh, that the servants of God are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. So if Paul was feeling very real pain and experiencing sorrow and grief, yet still rejoicing and full of joy and commanding others to do it, then true joy must be something that can be felt alongside of hurt. And that's because the joy available to us, it's not dependent on our situations or expectations, but our joy is dependent on an attitude of the heart. In the opening video that we watched, uh, they define joy like this. They said, joy is an attitude God's people adopt. That's us. It's an attitude God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of hope in God's love and promise. Right? So C3 Church, our joy is not determined by our struggles, but by our future destiny. Right, the theme passage for today, which we um, all read during worship, is 1 Peter 1, 3-9. And I'm not sure what version you read it in, but I'm taking the liberty to read it in the message version this morning. What a God we have. How fortunate we are to have him, this father of our master Jesus. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we have been given a brand new life. And we have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And the future starts now. God is keeping careful watch over us and the future. And the day is coming when you'll have it all, life healed and whole. And I know how great this makes you feel, even though you've had to put up with every kind of aggravation in the meantime. Pure gold put in the fire comes out of it pure, proved pure. Genuine faith put through suffering comes out proved genuine. And when Jesus wraps this all up, it is your faith, not your gold, 
that God will have on display as evidence of his victory. Listen to this. You never saw him, yet you love him. You still don't see him, yet you trust him with laughter and singing. Because you kept on believing, you'll get what you're looking forward to. Total salvation. And biblical joy is the result of a mindset. Right? Joy is a lens by which we view our lives. Joy is an approach to life rather than a reaction to life. Right? So wait, okay, you were saying here this morning, we're proposing that joy is an attitude, it's a mindset, it's a lens, it's an approach. But isn't joy an emotion? Don't we feel joy like we feel sorrow and anger? Well, yes. But Pastor Kimberly, you're saying joy is an attitude. Yes. So is joy an emotion or an attitude? Yes, no. Um, it is both. It is both. As humans, we have a physical body. We also have a mind, spirit, soul. We have all of these things, and they are so integrated and make us who we are. So if my mind decides that I'm going to have an attitude of joy, that's going to affect my spirit. And if I receive joy from the Holy Spirit, that's going to start to affect my mind. That will affect my body. You know, one of the very first messages I ever preached was in Revelstoke was on joy. And I actually found my notes to it. And there was some pretty good stuff in there. I wanted to repeat some jokes, but my dad knows them, so I decided not to go that way. Uh, but I did go through my notes, and I realized there are a few things in there I didn't agree with anymore. So you're welcome. You now have a decade later, Kimberly. I'm much wiser. Uh, but I, I said something I no longer agree with, and it was along the lines that joy is not an emotion, but strictly a fruit of the Spirit or a spiritual quality. And I've heard many Christian communicators teach things along this line, that joy is not a feeling or an emotion. But I don't actually subscribe to that anymore. Right, last week, Pastor Dave, he talked about peace. And I know when I feel the peace of God, when I receive God's peace, I feel it. It affects my emotional state. And when I encounter God's love, I often feel that. I have an emotional reaction. And when we experience divine joy, whether in praying or hanging out together, uh, we will feel happiness, even if it doesn't make sense. Right? To me... Joy feels like light, it feels like warmth, and feeling joy from God will make us smile and it will make us laugh and sometimes do absurd and crazy things. There's a story in 2 Samuel 6 about a famous character, King David, and he felt such joy that he began dancing in the street in front of everyone and also took off a few layers of clothes. We're not sure how many layers. But he was dancing, and he was so delighted in God and his goodness that it embarrassed his wife. <laughs> and there are many stories uh, from our Christian ancestors that talk about what they did when experiencing God's joy, often resulting in dancing and singing. Um, there is an old woman named Sarah, um, and after she was told by an angel that she was going to have a child, she'd been barren her whole life, but after she was told she was going to have a child, she felt such joy that she had to laugh. Genesis 21.6, Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. So joy is not just this ethereal, spiritual concept alone, but it's also a powerful feeling and emotion that compels us to smile, to laugh, to dance, to give. 
But the key here is this morning that we have the ability to choose joy before we feel it. That was a good noise. I thought that was you. <laughs> I was like, what? Okay. We have the ability to choose joy before we feel it. Right? Joy is an attitude that produces a joy we feel. So you may be someone who doesn't feel joy automatically. Maybe it's not always easy to access the feeling of joy. Like, cute joy. <laughs> Many times we only feel joy after we choose to reframe every circumstance that is presented to us. To reframe it in light of who Jesus is, of what he has done, and of what he's going to do. Right? This is the attitude and this is the mindset that actually opens up the supernatural flow of joy into our lives. I read a quote this week that said, people who choose joy before their circumstances change become the ones who change their circumstances. Right? We feel joy when we make the decision to have faith and to hope in the power of Jesus' life and love. Right? We experience it when we choose to see the world through God's perspective. Right, you and I, we can actually choose to be joyful people. And as Paul lays out in his letter, as representatives of Jesus Christ, it is crucial that each one of us make that decision. I saw a little I don't know, TikTok video by Pastor Phil. Uh, he was the founder of C3, and I recently heard him say that it is a divine prerogative that you and I get filled with joy. A divine prerogative that you and I get filled with joy. I love that. And maybe right now you're currently in a bummed out state or have a strong melancholy personality. I am strong melancholy. Like, I am not even, I don't even have a second. Like, I am melancholy by default. And maybe you're like that too. Maybe you feel no intellectual conviction to increase your level of joy in your life. But may I encourage you once more that if you have made the decision to follow Jesus, you don't just like want to have joy. Again, it's not just a bonus feature, but you need to. You need to. Why? Because the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. That's in Nehemiah 8.10. And perhaps that's one differentiation we can make between joy and happiness. Joy and happiness are very close, sometimes the same. But one difference could be that experiencing joy will make you stronger. When you feel joy, unlike happiness, you don't just feel good, you feel strength. When you have joy, you are strengthened. And on the contrary, faith without joy, it's exhausting. I have lived in that exhaustion so many times, so many times. I run out of steam so quickly when my joy is low, especially when it comes to building God's kingdom. Right? And so that verse, the joy of the Lord of our strength, it's a pretty famous verse. It's made its way into probably 100 Christian songs. Uh, but here's the context for it, and it's even more revealing. So where this verse takes place, the Israelites, this is several thousand years ago now, the Israelites had just returned from years of living in exile. 
Okay, so they were just spread out. And they had finally come back together. And so they were gathered together to listen to the laws of God that God had given them uh, earlier. And they came back to listen to the readings of these laws because they needed to refigure out who they were, how to build themselves up, how to form an identity as a people. And it's recorded that as the law was being read, they started weeping and mourning. Like the whole lot of them weeping and mourning. They felt so much guilt and so much condemnation because their lives and their behavior had drifted so far from where God had initially intended them, from the laws God had given them years prior. So the whole crew, the whole Israelite crew was just sat in down. And this is the scripture verse from there, uh, Nehemiah 8, 9. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and the teacher of the law, And the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go, enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to the Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. They literally told the Israelites to go have a party. And they said that that was a holy thing to do so because God is good and because God cared for them no matter how off track they got. And in order for these people who are down and feeling depressed and heavy, in order for them to get their strength back, they needed some joy. Joy is not a nicety. It's a necessity. When you enjoy something, there is life and strength in you to keep doing it. And I don't know what that is for you. At Paisley, I was remembering my time back in volleyball. I loved volleyball. And there was pain involved, and I hurt myself, and I had to give up all kinds of things for practices. I missed parties or whatever. But I was able to endure all those things because of the enjoyment I had in the sport and because of the promise that maybe I would get a gold medal one day, Right? I want you to know that you are allowed to live a godly life and enjoy yourself. Like, you can find joy in living sacrificially. In fact, not only is it permissible, but Jesus wants you to have joy. And Jesus wants you to enjoy following him. And not in a contrived, fake, happy-go-lucky way, but in a deep, unshakable way that fuels your actions and fuels your decisions and strengthens you in your everyday life. Do you know that quote, um, laughter is the best medicine? Do you know that quote? Did you know it's from the Bible? Proverbs 17, 22, it came from this. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. If you stick around, you will realize that we think it's important to have fun in church. I actually think we need to be having way more fun in church. But it's not just because we don't want people to get bored It's because we want people to be strong, to get strengthened, right? Joy is the fuel. It is the energy that we can live a sincere, non-obligatory faith. Joy is not a nicety. It's a necessity, and we need more of it. Now, I don't know uh, about you, what your personality type is like, but when I am lacking something or something is wrong in my life, I immediately try to start to fix it myself. And today, although I'm trying to present the essential nature of having joy, I don't want becoming joyful or 
adopting an attitude of joy to just be something you add to your, like, I need to fix this in the new year list. Right? I don't want being joyful just to be another self-improvement goal. Right? Maybe some of you do feel conviction, and you're like, I do need more joy, and then you'll just try to positive talk your way into it. And we're into positive thinking, love positive thinking. Uh, but the type of joy we're talking about, the type recorded in scriptures, it doesn't come from a technique, uh, but the true source is a relationship. William Vanderhaven said that joy is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of Christ. Right? We cannot underestimate how powerful the joy that Jesus had was. Hebrews 12.2 says that Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. And there is a joy he tasted, a joy that he experienced that sustained him through the darkest, most torturous time we could imagine. Psalm 45.7 says that Jesus was anointed with the oil of gladness above his companions. And that word gladness, it is associated uh, with leaping and jumping. Josiah, if you could leap and jump more, you'd be more like Jesus. But honestly, in other words, this is implying that Jesus was enjoying himself more than anyone else around. Jesus' life was not boring. He was not living in a state of, you know, being solemn. His life was not continually burdensome. And I've spent time with plenty of Christians who never gave me the impression that Jesus and good times went together. Okie dino. Man, for a long time, I was sure that Jesus was a very serious, very focused person, man on a mission. I could probably attribute that to any medieval painting of Jesus you've ever seen, but that's when I did my stranger danger joke. But anyways, it's fine. Okay, 10 years ago, I talked about how Jesus was such a joyful person that children were drawn to him. And when you think about the type of people that children are drawn to, like Neil, perhaps, and my dad, um... You don't think of like a solemn, scary dude, right? But those pictures you'd see in the medieval, the, oh, it's like, no, the children are not running to that guy. But it's fine. They were excellent works of art. Thank you, medieval artists. Uh, anyways, when Jesus was on earth, I can focus. It's fine. When Jesus was on earth, he was in the midst of the greatest rescue mission of all time. And this was a serious task, and it was full of sacrifice, and it was full of suffering, and yet he figured out how to enjoy himself. And I have an update for you. Jesus is still alive, and he is still joyful. Can I tell you something? Jesus is not down right now. Jesus is not depressed right now. Right? Some of us, we may not be uh, super happy with our lives. We may feel discouraged, but Jesus doesn't grow discouraged. Right? And this is why our relationship with Jesus is essential to the increase of joy in our life, both in our attitudes, how we see the world, and in our emotions, how we feel joy. John 15:1, Jesus said this. He said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. And we are branches to the vine. So our relationship with Jesus is like that of a branch to a vine. A branch is absolutely dependent on a vine for life. If a branch tries to grow separate from the vine, it loses its source of life. So when we stay connected to him, 
when we stay connected to the best source of joy there is, then it continually flows. John 17, 13, Jesus prays to God, and he's praying about those he's about to leave behind, his followers, and he prays this, God, that they would have the measure, the full measure of my joy within them. Jesus was asking God to leave us his joy because his joy was the best. It was the most effective. It was the most powerful. It produced the most strength. Thanks for tuning in today. Each week, we gather in cities across our region and online to explore the truth of freedom available to all in the message of Jesus Christ. To find a gathering near you or to find out more, head to c3church.ca.